Hey, special educators, I'm Jennifer from Positively Learning. Welcome to the Special Educators Resource Room. If you're like me, you're always looking for ways to save time and streamline your work. That's why this podcast was created to give you the systems and solutions you need to get your time back. Tune in for tips, tricks, and tools that will help you manage your workload and make the most of your time. Whether you're brand new or experienced, all are welcome in the Special Educators Resource Room. Hey, Special Educators, this is Jennifer from Positively Learning. I love today's topic. We're going to talk all about using work samples, how to use them, what they're for, how to collect them without drowning in paperwork. So let's get to it. I chose this topic as a follow-up to a conversation that started last week, and that was with episode 31, which featured free professional development playlists catered especially for you as the busy special educator. So there were four topics, and I heard loud and clear which one resonated the most at this time. So the four topics were IEP process, data collection, supporting our paras and student independent work. And I was specifically focused on task boxes. And I did hear from so many and I really appreciate it. I always love the feedback. And what I heard the most about was the data collection. So if that is what you are focused on, then I think that's what we should be continuing to talk about here as well. And I want to talk about using work samples as part of our data collection. It's like one piece of the puzzle. Personally, I am obsessed with work samples. I found them to be extremely effective in communicating whatever was going on at the IEP meeting table. I just found that we could talk and talk and talk, but if you show work samples, it speaks so much louder. Have you noticed that as well? As I sit down to write a new blog post, record a YouTube video, or speak to you through a podcast, I do my due diligence and research the topic, most often looking at the definitions and fact sheets. And then I find I often set it aside because I know that you can look up those definitions as well, but it would probably be much more helpful to know what we're actually going to do with these work samples. How are we going to collect them? How many do we need? Where are we going to organize this, and then what do we do with them? So let's get to it. A student work sample is some type of evidence of what a student is able to do. And I really like to differentiate it by what a student can do versus what a student knows. Because as special educators, we know that that's not always the same thing. So here's evidence of what the student can do. Ideally, is what the student can do independently. However, realistically, I know that I've worked with students and if they were working independently, I would be bringing a blank piece of paper to that meeting. If it's appropriate that your student is receiving prompting during independent work, that's perfectly fine. Just documenting that on the page. So you can mark with help or even specify what type of prompts they received. Ideally, and I know I've done this as well, I've brought examples of independent work versus very similar work done with prompts to show the difference between them. So if you have a student doing something maybe in the gen ed classroom and you're collecting that 
network sample. And then you have something that is done with prompting. Maybe it's a different setting. Maybe this is in the resource room. And then you've got both examples. And you can put them side by side to show what the student can do uh, in different settings and with different prompts. So student work samples are evidence and it communicates the student's progress where they're at right now. It's important to differentiate the difference between collecting student work samples and a student portfolio. Now they can overlap for sure, but oftentimes when I see a student portfolio, it is a holistic representation of everything the student is doing. So there may be some math and literacy work samples. There may also be some writing or maybe even student artwork. And oftentimes it's the cream of the crop all of the wonderful things the student is doing. And that's fantastic. But when I'm collecting work samples, I want it to be very recent and very realistic. So I have shown work samples to show a discrepancy and things that we are concerned about. Now on the flip side, I have also shared student work samples that showed how well the student is doing and that it brought up a conversation of maybe it's time to talk about the prompts and the supports we have in place and how we can begin fading them out. I don't know if this is just my experience or if this has happened to you as well, but I have worked with many families and caregivers that didn't realize how well their child is doing. Is that just me? So I would collect work samples that would show this. They're bringing up concerns that my child cannot write his or her name. And, you know, it's a battle every evening. And here I am with a work sample showing a paragraph. Okay, well, that's bringing up a completely different conversation, right? Something is happening at home that that child is possibly receiving some kind of benefit from not doing that work. And here I am in the classroom with this child knowing that they are making such amazing progress and here's the evidence. So maybe that's just me, but I ran into that quite a few times. Okay, now we know how great work samples are and how they are an amazing tool to communicate student progress. So how are we gonna collect them? What types of work samples? How many work samples? And how are we gonna fit this into a very busy day? I'm gonna share what worked for me, take it with a grain of salt. It will probably sound like a hot mess. However, it did really work. I always had the most recent student work ready to share. So I found that my students didn't do as much paper and pencil work as you would think. We did a lot of hands-on learning. We, of course, did a lot of task boxes. So I was aware anytime that we did do some type of paper and pencil activity that I was going to collect this, whether I ended up bringing it to the IEP meeting table or not. At this point, I'm collecting one to two pages per student every week. The rest of the time, we're using dry erase boards or hands-on resources. Now, I promise I am going to circle back on how I kept all of this organized. All right, but moving forward, I knew that I needed a solution to collect more work samples and I wanted it to be not only engaging, but I also wanted it to just be as easy as possible. So I ended up creating student task binders. So just like task boxes, I had these binders. So when a student is moving to independent work systems, they could grab the task box and get to work or they could choose to grab this task binder. It also could be always available for early finishers or part of your morning work routine. Now, it was not some type of morning work packet where I 
get the packet, I print it off, everybody has the same pages. But instead, I have a set of over 400 pages that are very student friendly. And I might look at these 400 pages and pick and choose what's gonna go in each student task binder aligned with what they need to work on and their goals and objectives. So I may look at all 400 pages and just grab a handful that everybody's gonna work on. And then maybe there's another section that I have half of my students have goals here, half of my students have objectives there, and I would just quickly assemble of these. Now, what's the beauty of this is that they are very student-friendly and designed for independent work, which means there's a lot of white space, there's very concise directions. I'm choosing any kind of visuals that my students can access, hopefully independently. So I'm not choosing some obscure picture where they're asking, what is this? No, I'm choosing like cat, dog, frog, and so on. And what's also neat about these pages is that they have many repeated skills that you can track their progress as they're building their independence. But I also have a very discreet section on each page that it's just a line that goes across where it says the date. There's a check mark where you can mark whether it was independent work or with help. And then I have a score. So if one page has the alphabet with 26 letters, it might be a blink out of 26. And I can just quickly glance at it and write it in. Or maybe there's 10 pictures for students to match with the word. I will have a blank out of 10. So I can just quickly grab a data point. So these pages work for us. So I would create these different types of binders for my students. And what was amazing about that is that these pages stayed in the binder. So they were all organized. No more flipping through all of the different work samples. Now, there's still some organization. I am going to get to that next. As far as these work binders go, I wouldn't bring the whole work binder to the meeting, or maybe I would, but most likely I would pick and choose. There were many repeated skills, so I don't need to bring five pages showing one-to-one -one correspondence, but instead I may pick the one that's the most recent or the one that's the most representative of what that student can do independently. I highly recommend using some type of task binder like this. I will put the link in the show notes and I will also link to a blog post so you can see what this looks like. And you may already have pages in your classroom that your students are doing. Why not organize them into these binders? Because that's organized your student work samples for you. All right, so we still have some loose pages here and there that I want to include as I'm sharing student progress. So what do we do to organize all of those? I have a very unconventional system, but it really worked for us. So maybe it'll spark some ideas. So in the resource room space, we had some bulletin boards. And I would love to say I was the type of teacher who could handle that and switch out bulletin boards, but I was not. So whatever is going to go up there had to look nice and last the entire year. So I used this type of space. Maybe you have window space or other wall space. I used it to display student work. You can probably see where this is going. And I couldn't use a simple tack on the bulletin board because it wasn't heavy enough. Instead, I had clotheslines, something I got from Amazon for maybe $4, and it had heavy-duty clips. And this just swooped over a bulletin board. So if you can picture this, maybe there's space for six clips. 
And on the, each clip, I had a 12 by 12 inch piece of scrapbook paper, like cardstock. Maybe that's the color that you want in your classroom. And I would have six spots. And then I might have a sign that says, amazing work coming soon on top of each piece of this cardstock. I designated one for every student. So maybe the first one on the left is always Jennifer's work. And the second one is always Ron's work. And as student work would come in, I would just clip it up there. And I wouldn't take the old stuff down. I would just continue to clip it up. That's why attack wouldn't work. These clips had to be heavy duty. But what was amazing is students loved seeing their work. If a family member ever came in, they were able to see student work. And a meeting's coming up. I would just go to the clothesline, grab that stack of papers. It's already organized in chronological order with the most recent being in the front. I would have a stack ready to go. I maybe didn't need all of those, but there they were if I did. Or maybe I'm sitting down every quarter to write IEP progress reports. And that's when I can grab that stack and organize it. I could grab the task binder and look at all of it. Do I need it all? Absolutely not. But I didn't have time to sift through this daily or weekly. I usually cleaned it out once a quarter and that worked for us. That was my way of organizing. Now, another idea is that you could go digital. You could snap photos of student work and throw it into a Google Drive folder. I think that would be awesome to do. However, that is an extra step that I didn't have time for. So I did not use that system. Instead, I had a task binder that had everything in one place. I had these clothesline clips that had everything in one place. That was kind of my theme, everything in one place. So those are some ideas for you. I would love to hear what you do for your student work samples. I'm going to wrap it up here because this is already starting to get lengthy. I am going to put a link in the show notes to the IEP task binders so that you can see what they look like and how they are organized. They are also part of a bundle where I have the same skills that are repeated for both student practice and to collect data for progress monitoring, and they come in different formats. The IEP task binders also have IEP task boxes, and there's task cards that you can use for performance tasks. And there's also file folders and centers and all different formats that have these same skills that students can work on. So I will put a link in the show notes there as well. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to continue the conversation next week on the Special Educators Resource Room. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'm dying to ask, what'd you think? Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. You can find the show notes and links for everything mentioned in this episode at positivelylearningblog.com. See you next week for more special education solutions.